Hello and welcome. This is a podcast about people who are visually impaired. I'm Maddie and I am a graduate student in the program to prepare teachers to work with students who have visual impairments. Hey, I'm Irene and I've had a long career preparing teachers to work with students who have visual impairment. Today, Maddie and I are here to talk to you about some of the common misconceptions people have about others who have visual impairment. I guess the first thing we should talk about is who are people with visual impairments? Yeah, that's a good question, Maddie. I I think that uh, a lot of people think about numbers when it comes to people who have vision loss. And really, people who are visually impaired have best correction in many cases, glasses or contact lenses, but they still need other things to help them learn or get information. Examples of that could be braille and tactile graphics or having additional lighting if they're someone who has some vision, higher contrast of materials, using a magnifier, or just getting closer to an object. Overall, all of these things will help a student to learn or to see better or to gather information if that person's very tactile. So who actually has a visual impairment? Is it just old people or can younger people have it too? You know, you would think that it was just old people, but there are some children that are born with some problems, like kids with cataracts. And older people get those too, but um, if a young child has a cataract, they'll, unless it's, the cataracts are removed early, they'll probably not seek very well the rest of their lives. Um, other reasons that kids might not see well is because they've inherited a gene from their parents and later on um, develop a disease process in their eye and then they can't see. Then there are still others who may have had a traumatic brain injury and that allows them uh, not to see as well later on. Or just an injury to an eye or something like that? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I actually met uh, a junior high student and the reason I met him was I had to test his eyes to find out if he could see out of one eye. He was in a music class and the music teacher stepped out and he and his friends started getting a little rowdy and flew drumsticks at each other, and one of the drumsticks hit his eye, and therefore he had an eye injury. So yes, it can happen. So these people aren't just people who have sat too close to the TV. They they ate their carrots when they were little, or they did, and it didn't matter. Um, so oh my God, <laughs> all those things that our mothers told us are not necessarily the case. Well. As you well know now, TVs are a lot different than they were a while back, and I don't think there's any radioactivity that's going to affect one's ability to see. In fact, we would encourage kids to get up close, although a lot of families don't like that when kids get up close to TVs because it blocks everybody else's view. Carrots? Uh, Not sure that that will help one's vision. It's a healthy thing to eat, though. I wouldn't discourage people from doing that. So many of these children also have additional disabilities as well, then? Um... I heard in a class that it was between 50 and 70 percent. That sounds pretty accurate. Um, A lot of times uh, teachers are finding very cool ways to teach them. They may not have gotten all the strategies to teach them when they went to a personnel prep program, but they're certainly making accommodations for them in the classrooms. I'm wondering, have you heard about Uh, that misconception that we should be talking louder or slower to people who have visual impairment. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, Definitely. One of the students that I work with, actually, uh, his math teacher last year, talked to him very slowly until he finally said, "Um, you know, 
I can hear you just fine and uh, you can talk to me normally. So I think it's definitely a good idea to have that conversation and communicate with uh, people who are visually impaired and see what their needs are and don't just assume. Yeah, that sounds like a good strategy to use. You know, um, I used to teach the low vision class and one of the things I would say to students who were taking the course is that uh, in days past, we would provide large print to students who needed it. I'm not sure that's the best thing to do for kids these days. I'm not sure what you see in your school system, but are a lot of the kids using technology to make print bigger and to making information, print information more accessible for them? Yeah, I mean, there's Braille, obviously, um, large print. We have screens, uh, screens that magnify, change the color, change the contrast. Um, you can also get uh, just a laptop to do JAWS, which is a program that'll talk, uh, it'll take text and turn it into speech. Um, so there's a lot of ways to access information. How about audio technology? Oh yeah, there's um, actually repositories online that students can access and get MP3s or audio files of books or even classroom textbooks, which is pretty cool. Well, you know, I have friends all the time say to me, why don't all blind people have a guide dog? I try to explain to them the answer to that. Do you, do you know of anybody that has a guide dog? I actually don't. I've heard it's pretty uncommon, um, but uh, do you have any experience with that? Well, a little bit. Um, the people I've known that have had guide dogs are 18 years old or older. They're a little bit more responsible, and there's a lot more to having a guide dog than just having it take you places. And by the way, dogs don't know where they're going. Their, their handlers have to tell them where they're going. <laughs> I think what's more typical is an orientation and mobility instructor, that special person that would teach a person to move safely, and they usually provide canes to their people that they're teaching. Yeah, they're the white canes with the red stripe usually, right? Yeah, and you know, I've seen really, really young kids use them. I mean, we're talking two to four-year-olds, they get an early start in life. So it seems like a really big topic, um, at least on the news and stuff, is legal blindness. But the definition of that is a little complicated. What's the point of that? Well, that's a really good question. I think it's more of a legal term these days than it is a term that we use in education. Basically, when you're working with someone with a visual loss, you want to find out what they can do visually or, or if they have other means to get information. And so... We would want teachers to look at how they use vision versus look at a number and say, this is what they see. I have heard, and I know for a fact, that a legal definition of blindness can help provide funding for kids in school districts and also help provide materials for the kids. You know, I, I have some people that I know um, who always ask me, should I say to a person, you're a person with a visual impairment or you're a person with blindness? Is that what do, you, what do you think about that? I think in the disability community as a whole and also um, with people who have visual impairments, it's really just got a lot of opinions out there. Um, so the best thing to do is to just ask the person that you're working with, uh, how would you like to be referred to? Um, and 
that can help in a lot of ways. Like, what it, what do they want to be called as their name? <laughs> and so, just open communication is one of the best things you can have. That, that sounds like a very, very common sense thing to do with a person. So, um, if I meet someone for the first time with a visual impairment, how should I present myself? Well, it's always really uncomfortable. I've been told. Um, if someone says hello to you and you have no idea who they are. So the best thing to do at the beginning is introduce yourself and state your name. Hey, this is Maddie. Um, another thing to do, uh, because there are different social norms, uh, is to use the other person's name if you know it. So um, that's kind of equivalent to making eye contact or waving or something like that. Okay. Well, the other thing that I've often thought about is using language correctly with people who have visual impairment. And if I say a word like, did you see that show last night? I, I think, oh, I shouldn't have said the word see. Well, that can be pretty awkward, but believe it or not, uh, people who with vision, visual impairments uh, hear stuff like that all the time. And it's just a natural part of the English language. So... Uh, calling attention to it is probably not going to help anybody. It's just going to call even more attention to the elephant in the room, I suppose. <laughs> um, what, what do you have as a suggestion for that kind of situation? Well, I think one thing you could do is to make sure that your directions are really specific and describe physical objects or locations. Things like, it's over there, is not very helpful when you can be more descriptive about where something is, to the right below waist level, for example. But I think it's okay to use words like see and look. So for people with visual impairments, is it really difficult to get into the community? Um, should, should people just you know, grab people's arms and help them across the street? Or is that considered rude? I would expect it, it was rude. Yeah, I, I think it might be a little disrespectful to grab somebody's arm and drag them across the street. As with everything we've talked about, best practice would be to ask the person if, they need assist, if that person needs assistance. And then one can use human guide, which is an easy way to be respectful and guiding someone safely across the street. And it doesn't take too long to learn either. We learned it in one of our classes, yeah. so it was pretty, pretty simple. So I'm going to be a teacher for children with visual impairments, hopefully. Um, and I wonder, uh, how is teaching a student with a visual impairment different than teaching a typical student? Well, bottom line, it's mostly the same as teaching any student. That's what I would say, first and foremost. But as you go further into your classes, Maddie, you'll find out that in the methods class, you'll be exposed to another curriculum that you'll be responsible for when you prepare your, your students. And not every student will need every part of that curriculum. It'll just depend on the student. An example of some things that you might be aware of would be assistive technology like computers, laptops, iPads, braille note takers. Um, orientation and mobility, and that would be taught by someone who has certification in that area. And then a real big one is career education. Yeah, that does sound really important. Um, what can you tell me about career education? Well, what I've heard and what I understand is the earlier uh, a student with visual impairment has a job and maintains that job, it is a life predictor about future employment. Well, that makes sense because getting those skills early on and having that on your resume, that should help a lot. Yeah, and you know, you, you've had a job and I've had a job for a long time and you and I know it takes more than just knowing how to do the job to be successful at that job. 
Yeah, definitely. Kind of as a segue into that, what about peer mentoring? How will that be helpful for students to get a job? I think peers are really influential with one another in the teen and preteen years. And that relationship can potentially develop between two similarly aged students and can have very, very positive effects. What makes a student with a visual impairment interested in STEM, particularly? You know, I think like any other student, if that student has a science interest, they'll go that direction, whether that student has a visual impairment or not. What's most important for students with visual impairment in STEM careers, though, is the exposure and opportunities to experience some of them, some of the careers that they might be interested in. And as I think you're learning in your classes, that hands-on experience cannot be replaced by anything else. So we would want that very much for that those students. Yeah, I have a student who absolutely loves playing with a circuit board. I mean, not playing, but learning how to use the circuit board to create different effects and sounds and lights and stuff. So that totally makes sense. Maddie, it was really fun to talk with you today about misconceptions of people with visual impairment. Also to talk a little bit about what our students will look forward to in the future, especially those that are interested in STEM careers. Yeah, thank you so much for having this discussion. I think we all learned a lot.